Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. The man himself. Don't you know I'm a recovering pride addict? Come on, man. Can you guys give it up for the real man himself, Jesus Christ, the living, breathing, sitting on the throne? Go ahead and praise him five more seconds. Come on, come on. Five, four, three, two, one. He is in the room. He is in the room. He is in the room. Aren't you glad to be found in the house of God this morning? Aren't you glad to be found in the house of God this morning? Then can we just one more time let Jesus know we're glad to be found by him in his house? Yeah! I told y'all last week, I'm ruined for anything less than this. I'm ruined, I'm ruined, I'm ruined, I'm ruined. And before we get to the, the message this morning, uh, some cool things are happening in the life of Takeover Church. And um, I was debating whether I was going to wait till next Sunday to tell you this or this Sunday, but I, I'm kind of bursting at the seams because the Lord is doing so much in the room this morning. Um, about four weeks ago, uh, Pastor Adrian, my beautiful wife, and I, we were contacted by an amazing church out in Manhattan, New York City, right in the financial district. And they are having a conference November 11th through the 13th called Spirit and Truth Conference. Well, how many of you know we are a spirit and truth church? And I got to tell you, I thought it was a rib. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a spam account. Except me and this pastor, his name's Pastor David Engelhart, me and him, we've uh, exchanged emails and, 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 and DMs and stuff, and we've talked and we listened to each other's messages, and we've kind of hit it off uh, via the internet. Um, he is my, he's my modern-day pen pal. And uh, <laughs> I'm that old, man. Some of you kids in here don't even know what a pen pal is. Talk to me when you've made a mixtape, okay? You don't know nothing. <laughs> all right. But all that to say, it's called Spirit and Truth, and he calls me, and he's like, man, I, I really want you to come and preach for us at this conference. And I was like, Why? <laughs> Why? You know? I was like, we're a, a four-year-old baby church plant to start on $80 and a word from God. Like, I'm, you know? Like, why? And he's like, man, I'm, I'm watching, and I'm seeing what's happening in your services. I'm seeing what the Holy Spirit is doing there. He goes, it's called Spirit and Truth Conference, and I got all the truth guys. I got the Finocchio brothers. I got the Theos you guys. I got some of these other people that are going to be there. They're going to be the truth. But can you come and impart to my church, King's Church, New York City, what the Holy Spirit is doing there in Grand Rapids? And then I was like, why? <laughs> and... And uh, needless to say, let me explain this. I need you to want to be praying for Adrienne and I. We'll be here obviously next week, but the following week we will be gone for that Sunday. Uh, the inmates will be running the asylum, a.k.a. Uh, Pastor Evan and, and Prophet Zach will be in charge, and it's going to be amazing. Uh, but needless, it's going to be a faithful Sunday, and if you don't show up when they're here, I, we, you and I are having conversations, okay? Because we are not about a preacher. We are about the high priest. Amen. But you got to understand this. This is, this is not unto Matt's glory. In fact, I've, I've turned down speaking engagements within our own network of churches before, uh, being asked to go to Bay City for our friend Marco. But it's like, because there's nowhere else I want to be. 
this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be. This, this is it. This, this, this thing in New York isn't, isn't unto my glory or to start my itinerant ministry onto something better. No, this is my something better. So understand when I'm asking you to pray for us, and I'm telling you this, it's not a gloat at all. It's actually dig your heels in. Because what the Lord is doing here has been asked to come and be imparted into Manhattan. That's not because I'm a great preacher or a killer worship team. That's because Jesus really loves this house. That's because he really loves that we host him here. That's because we really love that we are a home for him, a presence people that exists to see Jesus take over people's lives. Amen? Amen. So it's not to my glory, but to his. So dig your heels in. This is where you can invite your friends. This is where you can invite the lost. This is where you can invite other people who are looking for the real thing, baby. Because, it, and I'm not into stealing from other churches. I don't believe in inflammation in the body of Christ. But what I do believe in, what I do believe in, is the presence of God is here. The oil is here. The anointing is here. It's not because of me. It's not because of amazing vocalists like Amy and Alex and Sydney and Kayla and far out, even Grant has this hidden singing talent on the inside of him that it's like, bro, take me to the third heavens. Where did that come from? But it's because of him. This is what he's doing. So that's, that's pretty cool. Anyways. I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. I'm Pastor Matt. Yay. Um, I'm insane. Welcome. Um, I actually believe the Bible. Who loves the Bible? B-I-B-L-E is the book for me. We're in our series right now called Pierce the Veil. Come on, would you just turn and ask your neighbor, have you pierced the veil yet this week? And this is week two, and if you're taking notes, I want you to take notes. Uh, there's a notepad on or around your seat somewhere. We get those from our amazing partners at Our Daily Bread. Give it up for Our Daily Bread. They are amazing. They gave us all of those for free, and we have got boxes on boxes on boxes of, of books, boxes of books. And it's like, shut up, Matt, just get to the word. I am, because I'm bursting at the seams. So if you're taking notes, week two of Pierce the Veil, the title of my message is A Contemptible and Abased Worship. A Contemptible and Abased Worship. A Contemptible and Abased Worship. Worship, a contemptible and a based worship. And even if I'm not enunciating that word right, because I can't, uh, give me some latitude, okay? A contemptible, there, I got it. A contemptible and a based worship. We're going to the OT. Somebody say OT. And by that, I mean overtime, hello, and Old Testament. So get ready. Come on. We're from the Lion State, and they suck anyways. You're not missing anything. Don't worry about it. Just disappointment. Second Samuel 6, 1 through 23. Jesus, this is the one line that will never disappoint you. Amen? Come on! Second Samuel 6, 1 through 23. That might be the best joke I've ever actually made. And at this point, my humor can die, and we'll just continue to get to the meat. Sound good? All right, if you're a vegetarian in the place, vegetables are what we feed the meat. So take that theologically how you will. 
2 Samuel, Samuel 6, 1 through 23. I know it's a chunk, but we are going to devour this ham hock. You ready? David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose, and he went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Ebenedab. I love the Old Testament names, just making me do acrobats in my tongue. Which was on the hill out of the house of Ebenedab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Ebenedab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio, he went before the ark and... David, all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Come on, worship team. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, well, he put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen had stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him dead down there because of his error and he died there beside the ark. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and the place is now called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of God come, come with me, come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but, but David, he took, a, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household, the whole city. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David, he went and brought up the ark from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David in Jerusalem with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and fattened an animal. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and she saw King David, her husband, leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. And they brought up the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent David had pitched for it. And David, he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread and a portion of meat and a cake of raisins eh, to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house and well, David, he returned to bless his household. But Michael, uh, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself, she said. But David, but David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father, and above all of his house to appoint me a prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. 
And I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken by them, I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Well, thanks, Samuel. It's great. Exciting. Let's pray. Let's pray and let's get into this word of God. Sound good? King Jesus, thank you for dying. Thank you for rising. Thank you for smacking that chump, the devil, into hell and taking back the keys to all eternity. God, we are so grateful that you sent Jesus for us. Lord, being in relationship with you is the greatest honor and privilege of our lives. God, we, we, we cannot move on from this moment. We cannot move on from this feeling. We cannot move on from this thin place that we have with you, Lord. Lord, we have pierced the veil, God, and we are we are dedicating our lives to occupying this intimacy with you, God, to stewarding it well, to stewarding our lives well, to maturing into a mature bride so that we don't need five songs and an altar call to finally pierce the veil and feel like we have your presence because the goosebumps come. But God, we want to be walking, breathing, embodiment of your living presence every single day. God, would you come and teach us how to pierce the veil? God, we love you. We love you, God. We love you, God. And being in your presence, oh, there is nothing like it. There is nothing like it. God, come. Give us a greater appetite. Ruin us for every other lover, every other desire, every other interest, God. Ruin us today. We love you, God. And this is more than just a season. We are here, we are here for a lifetime, God. God, I, will, I stand before you. I will die in the city of Grand Rapids. If it means, Lord, you will occupy this space. You will live in this house. You, wherever we go, whatever building we have, God, I will give my life before you in Grand Rapids. Make me a fertilizer unto you, Lord, because I want to see your glory in this city. And all the saints said, come, Lord Jesus, come. Faithful church said, Amen. Amen. A contemptible and abased worship. Man, um, I am bursting at the seams. I, uh, I'm sorry that I'm so contemptible at the moment and probably abased in your eyes. That is kind of the plan today. You see, we're in a series called Pierce the Veil right now because I. I'm just going to be honest with you. The days of a minute 15 worship service and tipping 20 bucks is done. It's done. It's done. It's done. God didn't change since Acts 2. We did. We evolved. We, we decided we needed apps on our phone to make reservations to tell us when to leave church. We, we decided that we, we cared about golden calves called football and Applebee's and NASCAR, which we'd rather, we'd rather watch three hours of someone turning left <laughs> instead of be in the house of God. Right. But I'm dead serious. Am I... You, come on. I'm watching grown men just destroy each other and get concussions, which I am all for physically besting another person in competition. I love it. I was watching Jake Paul be an idiot last night, but 
Like, and he won, surprisingly. But I'm saying we, we've, we've moved on from him being the breath inside our lungs, us being his Omago Dei, his, his ecclesia, his image, and his church. I mean, I mean, I think it's an hour where every Christian needs to decide what is your ecclesiology, and, and you're going to ask yourself, Pastor Matt, what is an ecclesiology? It means how you view the church. Does your church, ecclesia, does your view of her, the bride of Christ, does it match up with what Jesus said, the gates of hell would not prevail against it? Does it match up? Because, man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I have seen, I have seen the gates of hell prevail against some hour and 15-minute worship services. I've seen the gates of hell prevail against some Christians that believe it's enough to simply tip 20 bucks and say, later, pastor, hope you're good, see you in three weeks. I've seen it. Because it was never designed to operate this way. We, we, we have done such a great job of filling seats without ever filling the people in those seats with his presence, with his spirit, with his person, with his power, with his might. And we wonder, where have all the miracles gone? Why aren't we seeing what's happening in Africa, happening in the United States? Why does it seem like there's only hotbeds in Reading and in Dallas and all these other great churches that are occupying the presence of God? It's because, man, we have believed the lie that church is about you and I. I'm still singing the old song, not to us, but to your name be the glory. The earth is shaking louder still. Can you hear us? Can you feel us? We love you, Lord. Say it. We love you, Lord. I, we're living to pierce the veil because, friends, there is something so much more available to us. There's something so much more available to us. There's a living, breathing, fire, presence of God that will turn you from a well-behaved West Michigan Christian looking good on social media Enough goosebumps to Instagram the moment, but not enough goosebumps to actually live it out. Like, it will take you from that, and it will ruin you. It will ruin you. And I asked the Lord, I was like, Lord, why do we not all have this hunger? Because I feel like I'm a madman. I feel like I'm losing my mind. I feel like nine weeks ago, I was just split apart. I was split apart like a crushed grape with me and Zach on this mat after a service. And I was just in some other place with the Lord. And I've just been, I've been ruined. And I said, Lord, why, why do we not as Christians all have the same insatiable hunger and desire? Excuse the mic flipping out. One day we'll have some shores and things will be great. But until then, to God be the glory. Amen. Oh, you know. To God be the glory. But listen, 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 listen. I asked him, I was like, Lord, why? 
why, why, why? Why do we not all have this hunger and desire to just live in your presence? Like, what is it about us, God? And he's like, Matt, sheep, sheep only eat what the shepherds feed them. Sheep only eat what the shepherds feed them. And the good shepherds, well, they feed their sheep what they have purchased and prepared for themselves. They feed their sheep what they have purchased and prepared and tasted for themselves. I was like, Lord, that makes all the sense in the world. And he's like, and the reason not every church is like this is because not every shepherd has tasted and seen what you have. And I was like, Lord, what am I to do with this? He's like, start breaking the bread breaking the bread. Give it to your church every single week. Break the bread. Give them a foretaste of, there's a foretaste in this place of the power and presence of the Lord that truly only comes in the age to come. And friends, it's here. And are we just going to be another one of those places that sparks in a pan that grows wildly because this presence of God is here? Are we going to turn him into a marketing scheme or are we going to actually steward his presence well? It's cool that I get to go preach in New York City, but I want to be here. This isn't, this isn't the most well thought out man-made man intended, man designed, man thought up marketing scheme. I don't care about that. I didn't give my life to that. I, I gave my life to him. I gave my life to him. And, and, I, and I can't allow us to settle for anything less than him. And so I'm going to keep breaking the bread as long as I have breath in my lungs to break. And I'm going to keep doing what I got to do to make sure I run this race well set before me. And that's levels of accountability. That's just being not stupid. And like, let's go. Amen. Like, come on. The hour's too late. It is too dark. There is not enough time left on the clock. We are in the end. And I'm not even a doomsday preacher. I'm just simply saying, <laughs> check the room, check the culture, check the world. We've been closer to the end since Jesus left than we've ever been. And I am living to spend the rest of this time piercing the veil. You see, earlier I said the statement, are you glad to be found in the house of the Lord? Now, this is a phrase that the church has used for about 2,000 years. Like, for ever since we've started gathering as an ecclesia, somebody has been saying, aren't you glad to be found in the house of the Lord? And it's interesting because so often, because we're Americans, in 2022, we think this, well, I won't impersonate him, but there's a well-known preacher who loves to say this is an ancient book with an ancient text with ancient people who are underdeveloped and we're evolved. And it's like, no, we're, we're, we're far less evolved than they are. They walked with Jesus and raised bodies from the dead. I prefer their language, not mine. Okay? Found in the house of God. The very implication of that phrase 
means that we should be glad that we have been found in the house of God. Well, yeah, man, I heard you say it. What do you mean? The implication being that we should be glad that we have been found in the house of God. Well, found by who? Found by your neighbor? No. Well, found by, found by who? Found by pastor? No. I'm not that much of a blessing, guys. Really? Come on. I might text you back. Might. Okay? All my friends said we know. Listen. Are you glad to be found in the house of the Lord? That means that there should be a moment where you come into the house of the Lord and you interact with him. In your interaction with the Lord, you are found by him. And when you find him and you are found by him and you encounter him, it should bless you. It should bless you. I was blessed when he met me. I was blessed when he spoke to me. I was blessed when I ran into him. I was blessed when I wasn't even looking for him. I was blessed when I came in with a great story to tell and the presence of God hit me like a brick and I was blessed. I was blessed. Are you glad to be found in the house of God? You see, here's the deal. There is a blessing for the Christian that only comes when you are found in the house of God. This language that we use as, as the church, as the ecclesia, as a 2,000-year-old bride, we, we, it is not by mistake. It's by design. Our words, our verbiage, I get it. Matt, you got you to gotta, you gotta chill the language out. You got to keep throwing dope and sweet and uh, fire and like other dumb things that you say in your messages because the young people, they don't get it. And I'm like, I, I, I prefer Jesus' language. That's where we got it. Sorry if it comes off weird to you. I think we all have this little microchip phone in our pocket that you can Google the word found. Well, I don't feel like I've ever been found anywhere. Well, praise God, today you are found. But we're found in the house of God. You see, friends, there is a, <laughs> there's a blessing that comes with being found in the presence of God. You see, there's this, there's this really dumb uh, self-centered, selfish thought that we often have. Um, and also pause real quick. I just want to say, I am so grateful for crying babies in church. Can we bless them? Listen, listen, we, we love crying babies in this house. You want to know why we love babies in this house? You want to know why? Because there's no junior Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to tuck kids away so they're less of a distraction. We're trying to equip them over there. Amen. Okay. We, we love it. So if you ever get annoyed by babies, check yourself. Jesus loves the little children. Okay. All right. Back to the story. So forgot where I was. <laughs> blessing. Thank you. There's a blessing in his presence, but there's a silly thought in the church today. There's a silly thought in the church today. And, and I see so many Christians, they get into it, and it's like, well, what, is, what does God even see in me? What does God even see in me? What does God ever see in me? Oh, I feel like I have this calling in my life, but what does God see in me? And there's this thing where I'm like, man, what is it about your relationship with God that's about you? You know, like, I'm like, I'm like, listen, 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 listen. I, I think we're a bit confused because here I am. I think today, I think one of the things that we need to begin to examine, I want to ask you to soberly ask yourself this question. I'll slow down. I want you to soberly ask yourself this question. What does God get out of a relationship with me? What does God get out of a relationship with me? Honestly, what does, what does God get out of my relationship with him? What does he get from this? 
Well, and I think the Christians, I think we stop and we go, well, my life. Yeah, but does he? Does he? I mean, if we're sober about it, if we're honest about it, if we actually took some evaluation and we go, does he actually get my life out of this? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I got saved. Well, I mean, you let him save you. You had a part to play. He didn't flail so much when he came. <sighs> and I guess you kind of relinquish some of your, your thoughts and your rights, right? But, but did he get all of your rights and all of your thoughts? Did he get, and, and what if we just gave somebody the latitude? What if we gave somebody the latitude and their response was, oh, oh I gave him my life. Okay, okay, well, say you gave him your life. After he resuscitated you back to life, then what does he get out of your life? Well, then what does he get? Because for most Christians, I think the gamut of our relationship, honest to God, and I'm, and I'm not throwing any shade right now. Hopefully I'm dropping some truth bombs and we're all going to grow together, okay? But I honestly, God, I think that most Christians, we go, I gave him my life, and then that's where we've camped out. But I wonder, I wonder, fam, I wonder. I wonder what that land looks like where we don't just camp out because he brought us out of Egypt but that place where we actually arrive in the promised land. That next area in our relationship where it's like, you know, he saved me, he set me free, he redeemed me, and now what do I live to do with my life? What does that look like? What do I give him? Because God, I'm 100% I'm, I'm, I'm certain that there is, there is more to give God than just your life. I am, I am a thousand percent convinced, mad, falling out of my tree, insane, believing that we actually are able. David himself, who we're about to talk about, he wrote the psalm, Bless the Lord, O my soul, with all that within me cry out, bless the Lord. How do you bless the Lord? We're asking some deep questions today, but we're going to do a good work, amen? What does God get out of a relationship with you? Do you bless the Lord? Do you bless the Lord? And if so, how? How does one even bless the Lord? What, what, I'm dust. What do I give him? What, what, do I, what do I give him? What does this even look like? And friends, I, I got to tell you today, I believe there is something that every Christian has to offer God. I believe there's something that every life under the sun has to offer God, that Jesus has a plan and a purpose for every single life that has ever been birthed on this earth and ever will be, that he has something for you to do and accomplish. He has a crown to put on your head and a crown for you to lay down at his feet. He has got something for you that only you can give to him that will bless his heart. I promise, there, I promise you this morning, there is there is something in your relationship with God that's actually for God. We just got to get past the we just got to get past the fact that we are not the source of our relationship. See, most of us we live our lives with Jesus, going, "Well, I started this relationship with Him. I found God." No, God found you after you separated yourself from Him for sin. He found you. I was once lost. Now I'm found. I'm found in the house of God. God does the finding. You do the surrendering. You didn't find Him. He found you. Amen. Okay. But we, we live thinking that we're the source of our relationship. 
And as long as we live thinking we are the source of our relationship, we will always live like we're the source of our relationship. Well, Pastor Matt, what does that look like practically? It looks like a lot of us. Friends, can I tell you, there is a superficial worship and there is a sacrificial worship and we're going to determine today which one we are. Okay? Because getting the church well into the third song is not sacrificial worship. That's superficial worship. And there's probably an area in your life that you believe you are the source of your relationship with God or else you would know, no, the second, the second, the second that no hits, I got to be in the room. The second he's there, I got to be in the room. I got to be in the room. I'll plan my Saturday to be in the room. I'll plan my Friday to plan my Saturday to plan my Thursday to plan my Wednesday to plan my, I will be in the room. That's just practical. And I know no one likes it because they feel like pastor's giving us a spanking, but it's like, hey, listen, that is an easy way that it's like, man, is, is my life ordered by God or is it not? What, what is my worship? Do I have a superficial consumerism worship or do I have a sacrificial lay my life down bare at your feet? Come and have your way, Lord Jesus. I give you everything. What is my worship? What is my worship? You see, because one will bless God, but the other one just, just blesses you. Because I get to arrive 20 minutes late and be on the altar of convenience. It's convenient for me. Put my hand in my pocket because I'm nervous saying this. <laughs> Some of y'all don't even call Takeover Church home there in the room this morning. You're going, yeah, we're not going to. Okay. Listen, there is a contemptible and a based worship that we actually can live to give God that is sacrificial in nature and it will bless the heart of God. You have just got to decide for yourself, am I going to believe what Jesus says about his ecclesia, what church is for, to first and foremost minister to the heart of God? Or is church about me? Is he the all-consuming fire or am I the all-consuming fire? Because so many Christians, we live like we're the all-consuming fire. Church is a buffet. I come, I, I arrive, I leave when I want to. I arrive when I want to, and I come however frequently I want to. And it's like, wait a minute. Where did we get this from? Bless your family. Take a vacation. If you're going to Hawaii, go to a church on Sunday in Hawaii. But like, you know, you, you know, and be on time. And tithe well while you're there. And bless the house of God doing a great work. See, this, this, this is bigger, this is bigger than, than the milk we've been, we've been nursing on. Man, some of us are some grown kids of God, but we still nursing on some milk when it comes to the word of God and the truth of God and the church of God. And it's like, yo, it's getting a little awkward now that some of us are still on milk at this age. You're five years old, you still nursing milk? What's going on? You've been saved for 20 years, you still nurse, what's going on? I would even recommend a vegetable at this point. Like, we got to get something solid in you, right? Right. 
Because friends, listen, 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 listen. There's an area with God, there's an intimacy with God. There's a powerful place with God where his presence goes before us and is around us and is with us. And it's not just here in this room, but it is on the daily. There is a place with God in your relationship with him that you can pierce the veil in your life and you can begin to occupy such an intimacy with him. But friends, it is gonna take some contemptible worship, some abased worship, some sacrificial worship, and we have gotta move beyond the superficial into the supernatural, beyond the superficial into the sacrificial. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? And so David, David is amazing. And I love this story because David is king here, but it's so stupid, right? Because as, as Christians, we love David when he's in the field, right? We love those stories. Oh, David beat the lion, and David beat the bear, and David was looked over because, you know, he, you know Jesse was probably, uh, David was probably the prodigal, you know, he's probably uh, somebody else's seed, and uh, like Jesse had like a woman on the side because David goes on a psalm to say I was born in sin, and so David was kind of overlooked because Jesse was like, well, I got these four great boys, and then there's David over here. I mean, like, we love these parts because we see ourselves in them. Yeah, I took on a lion. Yeah, I took on a bear. I took on Goliath. I was passed over, looked over, looked, over, looked by. I was the last one. I was born in sin. We love those parts. But that's because we are still nursing that church is all about us. We're still nursing about a message about us. What do I get out of the relationship with God? Forget what you get out of the relationship with God. You get Jesus. What does he get? Well, I'll tell you, David actually answers that question for us. You see, David, this is a moment where he's king. And I love it because David, as king, he doesn't just rule and reign and do awesome things. He's not just throwing a party and having a rave every week and just boosh, 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 boosh. He's not. All the stupid things Matt McClure would do, he's not. <sighs> he's not. Guys, come to my castle and watch Marvel movies. He's not. You know what David does? David instead, he takes the entire power of his crown the life of his kingdom. He takes everything within him and he goes, man, the Ark of the Covenant, if you don't know, was where the presence of God resided in the Old Testament to dwell among men. God's plan has always been to dwell among his people, amen? And so the Ark of the Covenant, he's going, it's, 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 it's still where Saul left it. It's where my predecessor left it, where I took over. It's still there. And I just, I can't live. I am ruined for any other lover. I've seen God do too much. I've seen him do too many great things. It was him that chucked the stone, not me. It was him that told me to get the five smooth stones, not me. It was him that taught me how to do the lion, how taught me to do the bear, who told me I was going to be king. He anointed me. He birthed me. He made a way for me. He chose me. I've done too much and seen God do too many great things to not have his presence be in my kingdom. I've got to go and get it. And so here's the crazy thing. So he enlists his whole army. He uses his crown before he lays it down at King Jesus' feet. He uses his crown for kingdom influence and purposes. And yet, we got so many people who had an issue with us having a voting Q&A here on Wednesday. David, king, ruler of all of Israel, using his crown for kingdom purposes, but people had beef that we decided to talk about politics and church. Miss me. I don't care. I got one life. And I'm going to lay it down for those who don't have the ability to lay it down for themselves because we keep aborting them and mutilating them. No. Amen? Amen. Very great. Fantastic. Jesus' name. So David, he uses his influence. He uses his power. Well, Matt, it's, it's corrupt when Christians are in power and use their influence for... Are you saved? 
If a Christian has that thought, I'm going to ask, are you, do you know Jesus? What do you think he came to do? I'm confused. I thought he was in the business of saving souls and preserving life, and you seem to think it's okay with just destruction. We should just stay out the way and sing kumbaya and wait for people to come through our doors before we save their lives and breathe breath in their lungs and raise their head and rescue their marriages. What are you talking about? But I'm off that. So David, David gets him and he's going out. He's going to Obed-Edom. Or no, he's going to that first place that's really hard to pronounce. Anyways, so he's going and he's got all these men. And, and you know, David, he loves the Lord. He loves the Lord. He wants the presence of God to be in his city of David in Jerusalem. And he's like, man, I have got to go and get the presence of God. I cannot go another day without his presence being around me, being near me, being close to me. So I'm going to use all of my power, all of my influence, all the things within my life to go and get him. Again, I ask, what does God get out of the relationship with you? Because here's David saying, I will, I will use all of my authority, all of my money, all of my power, all of my ability, all of my resources, all of my time to, to, to be in relationship with God, to be near God, to see God do something great in my city. I, I, I will move anything. I will be even more contemptible than this, he goes on to say later. I, I am ruined. So we're starting to get a picture of what God gets out of a relationship with David because you see, here's the thing. God had blessed David so much, did a great number of things so much for him. And David here in this beginning moment, he is declaring, however I can bless you, God, will never compare to how, uh, no, yes, however I can bless you, God, will never compare to how you have blessed me. But I'm still going to sacrifice for it anyways. I'm still going to pursue it anyways. This isn't superficial to me. This has got to be sacrificial to me. And so he gets them, and well, he's got these two boys that are actually from the city. These are Saul's homies. These are from the place where Saul left the, the Ark of the Covenant. And they, they don't have the same value for God that David does. They don't, because they, they're, not, they're not sold out. You see, they are superficial worshipers. They're Jews. They go to temple. They arrive when they should. They leave when they should. They, they follow the rituals. They're more superficial, ritualistic, not quite sacrificial worshipers. And it's Uzzah and Ahio, which are some cool names. Well, Uzzah, he had this bright idea. He was like, wow, it's this box, and there's these cherubs. And I guess, like, the Ten Commandments are in there. <sighs> Let's see. Horse and buggy, chariot, Walmart shopping cart. Oh, bum-castered <laughs> cart. <laughs> I'm going to get this hand truck real quick. And that's, that's what I'm going to transport God on. David is moving heaven and earth, using his kingdom's powers and resources to go and get the Ark of Covenant of God, to bring it back to the city of David in Jerusalem, to worship him indefinitely. And this guy just goes, hand buggy. This is going to be great. This is going to be real good. I'm going to get this cart and trolley, and I can push it. And obviously it's going to be awesome. Friends, can I tell you, can I tell you one of the real easy side trail, real, real easy nugget of truth for you? One of the easy ways that you can ensure that you live a life that blesses God is that you honor him in your preparation. Yeah. That might sound like some milk, but golly, none of us do it. <laughs> That's meat. It's turkey, but it's meat. You see, 
no, no marriage would ever last if we just lived our lives like we treat our relationship with God. Well, I hope I get time for him. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm planning, you know, I think I might be there. I was going to get my word, but then our marriages would all go down the toilet if, if we just decided to live our lives how we treat God. And we wonder why our, our faith is shipwrecked in 2022, right? We're going, we're wondering why COVID did such a ransack on the church. It, I, it's like, what do you, when did you meet with him? When did you prepare for him? Did you prepare your life in such a way that I'm going to worship him morning, noon, and night? That's next week's message. But did I prepare my life in a way? Because David, he's doing everything in his ability. God did everything with Jesus in his ability to make it so that we could worship Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus. And here we are responding like Uzzah going, hand trolley. Because I, the reason I bring that up is because in a moment, we're going to see him hit the threshing floor of Nacon. And it's like, you didn't think there'd be bad terrain? You didn't think that there'd be some hills and some rocks and some dirt? You didn't think that there'd be some unsettled ground, which is what threshing floor means? You didn't think there'd be some issues that you'd ride up upon and that maybe God, his presence in the earth should be, I don't know, safer than on the Oregon Trail? But isn't that so often how we live our lives with Jesus? Where we just happenstance and haphazardly just live our lives oblivious to his purpose and intention for him. And we hope to get some time with him and we hope to read our Bibles and we hope to worship him. And all of a sudden it's Thursday and four days have gone by since Sunday and he hasn't heard from us, seen us, talked to us, been found in his presence. And we got three things at church on the weekly, on Wednesday and Friday morning and on Sunday that you can actually be at just to help you along with your daily encounters. And yet he's still, and it's like handcart, handcart Christianity. And what happens next is, is, is incredible. You see, what happens next is amazing. And, and I actually love that this is in scripture. And there's no way to acrobat your way around this. This is hard facts, Okay. What happens next is they hit the threshing floor and because Uzzah didn't prepare ahead of time, because Ohio didn't prepare ahead of time, because they didn't have the same reverence for God that David did. They didn't go above and beyond to plan and prepare for his safe arrival in the city of David in Jerusalem. What happens? They hit uncertain grounds. They hit the threshing floor. Unsettled. And the cart of God tips over. <laughs> Can you imagine? Look at our lives. Look at our lives. You and I, we are the new temple. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. If we lived our lives the way Uzzah prepared for this, and suddenly we are coming up on uncertain times, uncertain waters, uncertain terrain, suddenly we found ourselves in a place that we didn't plan for to be strengthened in God in that season for. Suddenly we arrived, but we never strengthened ourselves for this season. And all of a sudden it looks like God is tipping over in our lives. Preparation actually honors God. It blesses God. Yeah. I'm telling you, God would feel so loved and enamored and cared for by you if you actually just arranged your life to be around him. Because what happens next is Uzzah, my guy, God bless you, I hope to see you in heaven. What happens next is it literally says Uzzah was an error. That as Uzzah decided to do his best Tim Tebow and lunge for the ball and try and pick it up before the other team intercepts it, he dives for the 
Ark of the Covenant of God, and God breaks out of it. He's upset, and he actually kills Uzzah. That's what that scripture says. It says he kills him because he was in error. And before you try to go, Matt, that's the Old Testament. That would never happen. No. Acts 19, there's this couple who were supposed to tithe, said they tithe, then lied about how much they got, gave 20 bucks like we do on Sundays, and then God was like, ha ha, so man reaps, or so man sows, so man reaps. I will not be mocked. Dead, dead. Matt, does God kill people? Yes. <sighs> Which is why I, part of the reason I worship him in reverence and awe, because he's the one in the universe that actually says, hey, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. And I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> I love you, thanks for having me, and uh, I will give you my life, and it will be a sacrifice and pleasing aroma to you, O oh Lord. Come on. That's, Uzzah died because of error. And if we don't think that error in our lives still doesn't have ramifications in the heavens, ramifications in the natural, ramifications for our lives, friends, we are sorely mistaken. Error still matters to God. Holiness still matters to God. Being a mature bride still matters to God. Just because we decided we were going to be the ones to say, welcome home, doesn't mean he does. His bride is full of his children, those saved by the finished work of Christ, not just anybody who comes through the church doors. That's the reality. I know we don't like hearing that, but that's the reality. There's going to be some people in heaven that we see one day, we're like, how did you get in? And they're probably thinking about us, how did you get in? And then there's going to be some people there that, or there's going to be some people not there that we thought for sure they would be there. And they're not. You see, friends, if, if, if we don't move on from this place where we love God's promises, but we don't value his presence, we are going to lose the whole thing. You see, we love to unwrap God's presence but most of us will totally forego and pass by and forfeit the part where his presence unwraps us. We love to unwrap his gifts, but what happens when the gift of his presence unwraps us and exposes our unpreparedness, our ill-discipled parts of us, the things of us that are still uncertain that would fall apart on unthreshing grounds, what happens when we encounter that, man? God he wants to do life with you, not just on Sundays and not just on Wednesdays and not just Fridays at 6 a.m., but on the daily. You are his temple. He moved from an ark into us. In our lives, is he tipping over? Like, how are we, how are we hosting God? You see, one of the things that happens when we live this unprepared life, when we don't reverently worship him for who he is, all of a sudden we will hit these uncertain times in life and we will try and handle God like Uzzah did. We will try to handle God like Uzzah did. Palm him back up. Tell him, move in my life. Come on, God, restore my marriage. Come on, God, do a work in my life. Come on, God, move in my finances. Move in this. Come on, God. And we're trying to handle him back up onto the car. The problem with God is that he refuses to be handled by you. He will only be hosted by you. He refuses to be handled by you. He will only ever be hosted by you. We don't 
That's, that's why a minute 15 doesn't work. You see, listen, listen, listen. When David, I'm moving. When David, when David, he leaves the Ark of the Covenant, Obed-Edom, because he's like, not because he doesn't want the blessing of God, not because he doesn't want it to be around God's presence. He is shook. He's like, okay, God just killed Uzzah, and I'm trying to bring him to my city. Uh, I don't want him to kill everybody else here, so I'm going to leave him here for now and collect my thoughts, suss out what happened, and then we'll, we'll revisit this, okay? Well, what ends up happening is three months goes by, and all of a sudden, what David's hearing isn't reports of God breaking out and killing more people. No, no. What, what, what he's hearing is that the people of Obed-Edom, the city, the house, well, they're actually hosting the presence of God. They're hosting him. They're hosting him in such a way, not trying to handle him, that it says it blesses the whole city. It blesses the whole house. It blesses the whole area. Where his presence is should bless the whole area. What would happen if churches quit trying to handle God in an hour and 15, but we decide to host him for a day? What would happen in Grand Rapids? What would we see? What would our city look like? What kind of revival would happen if we all, as a collective bride, one kingdom, many houses, many houses, different rooms. If we all decided, you know what? We are not going to handle God. We are going to host him. We are going to host him. We're not going to tell him what to do. We are just going to come. We're not just going to be married to a flow chart, but we're going to say, burn it for your glory, God. Would you come? I don't have an hour, 15 minute agenda for him. I have a life for him. I have what I can do with my life for him. We've got to, we've got to, because something is greater is available. The whole house of Obed-Edom was blessed for three months. And David was like, for three months, the city of David has not had this blessing, but Obed-Edom has. What am I doing? I've got to go. I've got to get him. I've got to bring him. I've got to finish my mission. We've got to host him in Jerusalem where God wants to be, his promised land. See, the difference between us and David is so often is, we want the promised land of God, but we don't go to great lengths to have the presence of God in our promised land. Now, we want the marriage he has for us, but do we want God in our dating? We want the faith life of people who are saved by him, mighty to do great works, but do we want to be in the church that he? You know what I'm saying? We want to be a man and a woman of God of character and integrity, but do we want to go without pornography and Netflix and all the other things that we wander from him with. What? We, we want the promises of God, but do we want the presence of, his, of him? Do we want the promised land of God or do we want his presence in the promised land? There's more. You see, suddenly what we have here is <laughs> what we have here is David. He's going and he goes to get this and they're bringing it back and see this is the part of sacrificial worship that we kind of got to begin to get our head around you see David he has them and the Lord is fastened and he's safe and he's much more held carried and proper put together and it says that David he's he's worshiping he's dancing a jig he's shouting the shouts he's pulling the trumpets he's doing the thing the shofars are blowing people are running with banners up and down the line like they are having church with God and and then it says, every six feet, every six feet, think about that. I got size 12 boots, baby. 
every six feet. Yes, I'm 5'8". It doesn't make sense. Praise God. Every six feet, they would sacrifice a bison and kill a fattened calf. Well, the bison, the bison, see, the bison makes sense. The bison makes sense because bison is, is in that time was a animal that would be often sacrificed for these things, for big moments with God. This made all the sense in the world. And so David, he's just turning it up to the next level. He's like, yeah, all the bisons, bring all the bisons. And from Obed-Edom all the way to the city of David, every six feet we're going to kill one of them in sacrifice, in sacrificial worship to God. So I guess for you and me, the things that are normal for our life with God, church, Wednesdays, boys and babe crew, ignite nights, prayer meetings, all the things that should be normal for the Christian. Well, that's the bison. That's the part that makes sense. That's the part in our lives that it's like, of course, of course, this is what I'm sacrificing. Of course, I'm foregoing every other woman so I can honor my marriage. Of course, I'm doing this. Like these non-negotiable, normal things in Christ, you know, that we are called to do and live above reproach. And there's always forgiveness for if we've messed up, obviously. I hope you guys know that today. But this is... These are the essentials. This is the requirements. These are the things that are a part of what a Christian is called and made to do and be. Well, then there's the fatted calf. See, the fatted calf always confuses me because I don't know if you know this, like cows are big, but cows don't just get fat on accident. It left to their own devices, they're just eating grass. Like, you know, there's, there's out there. I don't know about you, but there's not a whole lot of people, you know, that are on the larger side of things who are just eating grass, okay? I shouldn't have said that. That sounds bad. I didn't mean it as bad as it came out. That's a stupid example. Anyways, Glory, come back. Listen, calves have to be fatted on purpose because you're trying to get something out of them. You're trying to get a meat out of them. You're trying to get a, a, a good hunk out of them. You're trying to have a celebratory. You're trying to have enough meat to go around for something. And David is saying every six feet, we did what we're supposed to do with the bison. But on top of that, I want to sacrificially worship to God that which he did not ask of me, that of which is not required, that which I took in my own life and I fattened and I built in and I puffed up and I made large and in charge. And I said, God, I took time and effort to fatten this calf for you and I slay it every six feet. When was the last time you gave something to God that he never asked you to give up? Let me tell you this. Laying down sin isn't sacrificial worship. That's obedience. Forgoing sin isn't sacrificial worship. That's obedience. When was the last time outside of sin, we're called to holiness. You lay that down. That's obedience. When's the last time that you offered him something up, that you prepared for him, that you said, you know what? I get it. It's football season, 2022, 2023 season. It's going to be amazing. But God, for you, I want to give you my Monday nights. I want to give you my Friday night lights. I want to give you my Sunday afternoon. Lord, this year I am foregoing this. Why? Did God lay that in your heart? No, but I just want to worship him. I just want to go to that deeper place with him. I just want to move six feet and I want to kill a fattened calf in my life. I want to butcher something for him and say, Lord, I want to give this to you. When is the last time you said, you know what? I love the movies. I love the movies. But man, you know what, God, that, that $20, $30 that's happening, God, I just want to bless you even more. So I'm going foregoing movies for a season, giving up Netflix for a season, and all these things that I have for entertainment in my life. You know what, God, I want to just bring it to your house. 
I'm gonna tithe it, I'm gonna offer it, and I just, I just wanna give you something that you never asked of me, but I know will bless your heart. Because that's what David's doing. God never asked for this. And David is going, I have prepared these fattened calves for you every six feet I will sacrifice. And if those every six feet, if those are the mile markers for our lives as Christians, friends, I gotta ask, when is the last time you sacrificed, you gave up, you went without, you prepared something in your life that you've spent so much time building up, making much of in your life, and you went, you know what, for this season, God, I am butchering it and laying at your feet because I love you, because I worship you, because every sacrifice is, you are worthy of it all, God. Worship team, you can make your way up. You are worthy of it all, God. You are worthy of it all, God. You see, David, David was a madman. He was falling out of his tree, just insane for God. He was so hungry. He wanted his tangible presence in his city so much. And he was just overjoyed and overcome. And man, could you imagine being the Israelite men? Could you imagine being the, the people there who are walking up alongside this? Who are going, why are we doing this? Look at this waste of meat. What is David? Is he insane? Has he lost his mind? We could throw five festivals for this. Like, what are we, what are we doing with all of this? Every six feet. I mean, he's king and I'm going to listen, but. And the whole way through, the madman led them in a great procession a great procession where the presence of God goes to its rightful place where it should be, where God always intended to be in his city of David, in Jerusalem, in his holy place, dwelling among his people. And David decided there is no expense left to spare. We give it all to him. That which he asks of and that which he doesn't, we are doing this. Talk about Jesus taking over someone's life. That's the point. See, they're going to get to the city of David. and I like that, Grant. Keep that going. See, they get to the city of David. David comes in. He's dancing a jig. and He's doing his thing. And they're butchering some fatted calves. And they're coming in. And Michael, his wife, she runs to the balcony and she sees him. And, and see, this is the part where you really begin to see the difference between a superficial worshiper and a sacrificial worshiper. <laughs> because Michael, of course, goes to temple. Michael, of course, worships. Michael, of course, has made sacrifices for her sin and gone to see priests, and of course, because she's a good Jewish girl. But she looks over the balcony and see, she sees David just losing his ever-loving mind for Christ for who God is. He's just so enamored that he has a presence of God with him. He's bringing it to his place. Come on, hallelujah, let's go. And it says that she looked at him and she despised him in her heart. You see, one of the sacrifices that's gonna be required of piercing the veil is your reputation. 
because there's gonna come with it this jig, this dance, this shout, this, this exuberant craziness that comes along with you that maybe you're not even really prone to. Friends, listen, I wasn't always this way. Listen, there is just something about the presence of God in your life that will radically shift who you think you are, what you think you are, where you thought you were going, what you thought you'd always end up doing, and He will radically change and transform you and take over your lives. And to everybody else who might be a superficial worshiper, they'll look at you and your sacrificial worship, just tears going. You're not even sure what's happening, but you are found in the glory and the presence of God on your knees before him, and it will make no sense to them. And your reputation cannot matter in that moment. Because God is worthy. God is worthy of your reputation. God is worthy of, of the impression that everybody else has for you. You see, what's insane to me is what the enemy always does. You see, David, David, he comes and the first thing he does, he puts up a tent, he has another worship service. Haven't you done enough, David? Absolutely not. Matt, have you preached long enough? Absolutely not. We've got a tent, we've got to put a tent up, we've got to feed people, we've got to offer peace offerings and burnt offerings. we got more to do. God is here. God is here. God is here. And then after they do all that and they have another service and they take up five offerings and the whole thing is amazing and all the men go home and all the places are blessed. And David, he goes home and it says to bless his own home. David goes home to bless his own home. Don't miss this this morning. And all of a sudden, Michael just greets him. And she's like, you insolent idiot out there dancing butt naked, stark naked before the Lord, before your slave and servant girls, before the people who work for you. You're an idiot. You're an embarrassment. Shame, shame, shame. Embarrassment, embarrassment. Isn't that just like the enemy to always try to insult your identity? Isn't that just like the enemy to always try and insult your identity when you are moving further and closer to the Lord? When you're growing his relationship, friends, make no mistake about it. Jesus himself said, I have come to turn sons against fathers and daughters against mothers. I have come not with peace, but a sword. There will be some division that happens when you begin to follow him, pierce the veil and live in the intimacy with the Lord that supersedes your intimacy with those around you. And people who are superficial worshipers, not sacrificial worshipers, they will look at you with, with despise in their heart and go, what is wrong with you? Would you guys stand? See what we're gonna do with, we're gonna worship and we're gonna sing this last song called So Will I, which I think is very fitting because I wanna offer you a moment because what David says next is, is brilliant and it's our response to the world. Would you kill the lights guys? It's our response to the world. It's our response to God. It's our response to the enemy. It's our response. It is the only response that we can have as Christians. When Jesus has saved our soul, when he's redeemed us from the pits of hell, when he has seated us in heavenly places, when he has put his Holy Spirit, his presence, his power, his dynamic power of God on the inside of us, there is one response to that intimacy. And it is David's response to Michael. He says, ha, ha. you ain't seen nothing yet. I will get even more uncontemptible. I will get even more abased. Do you know what those words mean? Do you know what that word means, contemptible and abased? Do you know what that means? 
Contemptible means degraded, abased, degraded. That's what he means. He's like, I will look a fool in front of you. I will look less than than you. Luckily, Jesus says, John, come on. I must become less so he may become more. I must decrease so that he may increase. He goes, I will get more contemptible. I will get worse. I will be mad falling out of my tree. I will be falling apart in front of you while holding up this kingdom because that is what God has called me to do. I will get more contemptible and more abased. There will be more degradation in my worship, less of me. Smash me, Lord, in your presence, and I will lead from that place. And so I want to, I want to welcome you in this moment. We've had so many services this last number of weeks, and yeah, there's a place you can put your knees there if you'd like, or you can just fall flat on your face on the concrete there, but we're going to sing a song, So Will I, and I just want to open up the altar. And I want to welcome you into this life of being a contemptible and a base worshiper. I want to welcome you in, like, join, join the deep end of the pool. It's warm here. It's great here. It's powerful here. Something has been happening up here at this altar for a great number of weeks where we are seeing, listen, friends, chains fall off of people that they didn't even know they were living with. I know Christians who will live for decades in chains that daily encounters with God would have broke off a long time ago. And that can start today. That can start right now. Worship team, you can begin to sing. And I just want to say, come Lord Jesus, come. And come you who are ready to say, I will be contemptible. I will be abased. I want to live a sacrificial worship to you, Lord. I will sacrifice my dignity in this moment. I will get on my knees before you. I will cry before you. I will shout before you. I will lift my hands before you. I will jump before you. This is that moment where we leave these doors for this week ahead of us contemptible and abased in his sight and everyone else's for his glory. So come, in Jesus' name, amen.